This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Next on Plains FM, it's Notes from the Underground, opinion and discussion from a left-wing perspective with Quentin Finlay. Chris, and um, you're actually the first guest for the new year because it's now 2022. So it I is. thought it is. So first of all, congratulations on your new position. Um, Thank and, you. And secondly, um, what I thought we'd do is just do something nice and easy to slide into the new year, and basically just talk about some things from you know your expectations of 2021. And really what you see in 2022 or what you'd like to see happening in 2022. Uh, of course, as you're well aware, Chris, this is also uh, basically what was it next next year? Well, this year, sorry, will also be the first run of the local body elections. Yeah. So essentially, in one sense, it will be the time for the parties to see whether or not, particularly Labour, um, to see whether or not they maintain their popularity or whether or not they've slipped or, or you know, or what the question is. So. What were your thoughts about last year, 2021? Well, it, it everyone, and to you, Quentin, and Happy New Year as well. I think that 2021 was one of the most challenging years we faced. I saw someone write the other day that it was the most challenging year we've had since 1945. I think 2020 and 2021 were both the most challenging years we've had since 1945. I think the last two years have been a real roller coaster for a lot of people. I think everyone on the planet practically due to COVID. I think our government, despite making a number of mistakes, including, for example, not keeping Auckland in level four lockdown for perhaps a couple of weeks longer, did make some mistakes along the way. However, we're seeing, and at the time we're recording this, by the way, the numbers of people who have Delta have come down in New Zealand. I think that the total around the time that we're recording this has fallen to somewhere in the mid-40s. So I think that the government's Delta plan, even though it wasn't the most well rolled out and executed in the initial phases, it's actually now working in terms of the vaccine mandates, even though they've been very controversial, despite the fact that we've had to adopt a vaccine passport to get into bigger venues, for example, those sorts of things. But despite that, we're doing well as a country compared to other countries that we often do actually compare ourselves to, for example, the United States, the UK, Australia even, 
we're doing a lot better in that respect. How that will change in 2022 with Omicron, we're yet to see. I think that's going to inevitably come about if if it hasn't arrived by the time that the show is. It will certainly do so during the year. We'll probably leap out of MIQ, but hopefully MIQ contain it for long enough so that the vaccine rollout for in particular children and the boosters program can start effectively and i think that you've made you know, you've made a couple of valid points there i mean you know essentially looking at the economy uh you'll be aware that as this is being recorded it was only a week ago that uh grant robinson released his economic outlook for the next what was it uh several years and the economy despite all its challenges seems to be Good. I mean, compared to the other nations and so on that you've actually talked about. So obviously Grant will be hoping that continues, you know, and that, you know, essentially that that proves a bit of a flip. Absolutely. I think so. I think actually that there could be room for not only spending on climate change response, but for more spending on, for example, boosting wealthy benefits further because people on low and fixed incomes will be particularly hard hit by the recent surge in supply chain inflation that's been seen. But Mm. it's nothing like the 1970s or anything like that, where we saw double-digit inflation. Also, too, there could be more room, obviously, for spending on more spending on health care and education going forward. And what I'd like to see, for example, is Labour adopting a plan whereby it makes the every facet of the education system cost free, user pays free from early childhood through to tertiary education. That that I think is part, or should be part of building back better in terms of increasing our skill based in terms of education and training, alleviating poverty within welfare and also ensuring that we have the best health outcomes as we come out of COVID. All of those sorts of things should be on Labour's list and as well as that, a bigger spend on climate change. I'm very, very optimistic about the initial $4.5 billion that's going to go into the climate change fund, but perhaps more than that needs to be invested as well if we're to reach our carbon neutrality goals by 2050. Those are the things that I'd like to see Labour do this coming year. And another thing, if I may just slip it in, Late last year, it was announced that there would be a ministry for disabled people created. Now, people may or may not know this much outside of the disability community, but there's been a huge disappointment in the fact that there's been a non-disabled person appointed to head the establishment unit, which will lead to creation of the new ministry. However, the permanent head of the ministry will be appointed in 2022 by the Public Service Commission, which was formerly the State Services Commission. They'll be responsible for that. So my real challenge to the Public Service Commission this year is to appoint a person with lived experience of disability to head the new Ministry for Disabled People. That's the large scale expectation of the disability rights movement of which I'm a part 
And I think that that's going to be one of the key measures of the success of the new ministry going forward. So that's also what I'd like to see worked on from 2021 is that issue of addressing the issue of recognising disability leadership, including within government. I mean, let, 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 let's take that, that that point, because as you said, you know, this has been a, a long time coming, and I know that you've been one of those who've been furiously advocating and so on for its establishment for a number of years. Mm. And, you know, you seem to have got it, but yet the government seems to have sort of um, kicked for touch over it. It kind of reminds me of the debates around the Ministry of Youth in the late 1980s with the government at that time said, well, we want to have it. And then when they appointed it, it was sort of downgraded and then attached to another ministry and so on like that. What would you like to see? the You'd like to see it as a fully functioning ministry, obviously. Absolutely. It's going to also hold the disability support services component of the current health budget, which right. will be going over, transferred over to the new ministry. That's what I believe should happen. I believe it will be perhaps a more powerful population group ministry than, say, youth or women or the Ministry for Ethnic Communities because of that. It's got the ability to, and the capacity to actually be a far more powerful and influential ministry because of what will happen in that respect and that in terms of the DSS transition from health to the new Ministry for Disabled People. That's what I'd like to see happen in 2022. However, the scope of the funding transfer that still needs to be worked out. For example, aged care, the disability support for older people is currently the responsibility of district health boards. As people know, they're going to be disestablished as of 2022. So I'm just wondering whether the full spectrum, as it should be in my view, of disability support funding should be transferred over to the new Ministry for Disabled People, or whether that over 65 or close in range DSS budget will be hived off to say, for example, the Ministry for Seniors, I think that exists, but it's actually an office yeah, for seniors yeah. and started out as a ministry, but it it itself got downgraded. I'm hopeful that perhaps there could be a ministry for older people also created too. However, that's all in the future. I think, though, to start with, that perhaps the Ministry for Disabled People should have full control over all aspects of, DSS, of the DSS budget and base it around the Enabling Good Lives principles. Of, mm. For example, be, having disabled people and their families follow have a, a greater degree of control over the, the supports they receive and the budget that they have for that. Yeah, and I, I think that you've touched on several key points there. One of them, of course, you know, is essentially giving it the proper funding and, of course, the proper allocation and so on of, of power, one could actually say. And, and you know, because you don't. And you're quite right about the Ministry of Senior, Senior Citizens, which was kicked off, or you know, with great fanfare. I think, well, about 12 years ago or something like By that. The and, government. Yeah. I yeah. And, and now, yeah. of course, and I like the Ministry of Youth and even the Ministry of Women's Affairs just seems to have sort of withered on the vine somewhat. And you really don't want that if you, you pick oh. up these new ministries. And 
the other point you might raise, of course, is very um, silent as well, of course, is the disappearance of the, the, all the DHBs, of course, in the middle of the year. And what happens to some of the powers they have? Do they get transferred across, as you would say or hope, to this new ministry? Or are they going to, see, going to be transferred across to other ministries? Or are this new DH, the new national DHB, whatever it's called, going to actually encompass those powers. I mean, we don't know. The government doesn't seem to have any sort of, well, if it does, it doesn't seem to have, how do I put those, you know, put it out in the public arena for any sort of, I, I get the, the feeling of a lot of people scrambling around madly, particularly in the DHBs at the moment, wondering what the hell are we going to do come, you know, come the yeah. middle of the year. Yeah. I think that the existing powers of the DHBs will be, as I understand it, devolved to the new health New Zealand entity, which they're yeah. co-creating alongside the Māori Health Authority and the Ministry of Health. And also that there will be 20 localities, offices or whatever, replacing the DHBs, which will sit underneath Health New Zealand, whatever they're going to be calling it. And thereby, that's how the... It'll be more of a centralised operation. Mm. I don't know how much local decision-making power will be left in in that sense where once the DHBs go, because what the government is wanting to do, and it's a very noble aim, of course, is to ensure that New Zealanders, wherever they live, receive the same level of health care and the same level of services and the same consistency and quality of services, irrespective of where, wherever they live in New Zealand. There are some inequities at the moment that have resulted from the DHB system. For example, that, that in some areas you can get some services that are not available in other areas. Yeah. And, and so what they're aiming to do is to ensure that you can easily transfer a person who needs a specialist service from, say, Dunedin to Auckland or vice versa and not encounter the bureaucratic and other obstacles that can often get in the way of that. So yeah, that's I mean, I guess, what they're trying to do. But also it does take away some local decision-making powers that are really quite have proven to be useful as well. It's about getting the balance right, and I don't know whether the government has in this respect just yet. Mm, because one, one hopes, that, of course, you know, essentially that there is some plan and they're not going to work it out as they go along, so to speak, because I, I, I don't think that would be, you know, quite a good idea. There are some things, obviously, you just have to feel your way, but I would like to think that there is actually a plan, you know, a comprehensive plan moving forwards. And I, sometimes yes. I get the feeling, Chris, that there isn't such a plan but, you know, that could just be me, you know. Well, and, uh, that could be you. But I think what the government are doing is that they're wanting to create a New Zealand health plan yeah. through which the health system will be, um, you know, it'll be the overall health strategy for New Zealand. And, and it will establish some key targets and goals that it, all of the health system will have to meet in terms of population health, those sorts of things. Mm. They're, they're, I think they're they're, 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 yeah, so, they're, they're, but yet yeah, that plan has to be developed. Yeah, that's right. And I think also the important thing too is to move away a lot from the um, strict ratio and population-based funding, mm. which just basically, you know, essentially just treated people the same, even though, 
you know, there are distinct geographical differences in some cases, there are distinct population differences and so on. And, you know, so I think the government really has to look at its funding model and so on too, if it's actually going to really succeed in, you know, developing that capacity. I think that's one of the things that probably prompted them to do something because the population-based funding model has been responsible for a lot of shortfalls within the health system, including that nearly all of the DHBs, apart from one or two around the country, run deficits. It's yeah. been very difficult to actually for DHBs to manage those deficits, regardless of the fact that they try and try to do so. But the cost of running a health system are such that they they there are always fixed costs that need to be met, such as, for example, the bill for pharmaceuticals can go up and down with the exchange rate because we import most of our pharmaceuticals. We also have we also need to ensure that hospitals, for example, are run by and the health system in general are run by staff who would need to be well paid and remunerated for the, you know, and to in order to retain their skills within the system. All mm. of that costs money, and therefore I think that is where the cost-saving regimes that have been imposed upon. Uh, district health boards down the years have fallen down. They've all failed. Mm. I mean, for example, just take the Southern District Health Board, which encompasses both Otago and Southland. A number of years ago, we had, under the previous national government, of course, a commissioner appointed. And at that point in time, they had a deficit of something like $80 million. But by the time they left, they, they, they had recorded some fiscal gains, but it's essentially it ended up by the time the commissioner was, the, their powers were transferred back to a, a partially elected board, and that they'd only had the success of reducing the deficit by somewhat five or six million dollars. Yeah, what it was. I mean, as you said, I mean, you know, the, the, it's the same sort of thing like across the country, apart from three DHBs. And essentially, you know, I mean, you don't have to look very far. As you see it here in Canterbury, of course, we have our own problems and so on with oh, DHB right. funding as well, too, having suffered, you know, earthquakes and, you know, all sorts of catastrophes and so on here that makes it very difficult. I mean, in terms of the other thing that you mentioned, climate change, now, yes. of course, even though we have COVID and, you know, climate change, of course, has not gone away. No. And again, it's been one of these things that, that Labour has, you know, talked about, but not actually come to the table with much in the past. So we'd be hoping, you know, that since the clock is now rapidly ticking down to the 1.5 to 2, 2% uh, degree, you know, what should they be doing next year? What would you be hoping for the government next year? Well, in 2022, I understand that the government is going to be focusing their budget, or Grant Robertson is going to be focusing the budget around climate change initiatives, and that's part of the reason why they announced the initial $4.5 billion climate change fund. But this is financed, the revenue for this is actually derived from the emissions trading scheme, which is a market-based mechanism for mm. actually dealing with climate change. It hasn't really worked that effectively at all. If you get in 
fact also too we're not we're not dealing with it through actually imposing a carbon tax on the in particular the highest emitting industries and sectors i think that would be of course very controversial but it's very much needed at the same time though i i have to say that at least it's it's the beginning of a commitment to this climate change fund. It's come about at the behest of the Green Party as well, given yeah. that we are outside of the government and um, have very limited, and speaking as a Green Party member, we have very limited influence over the government currently, given that Labour has a majority and we only have a supply and confidence agreement, but we've been able to exercise whatever influence we've had to try to get this fund together and hopefully the budget will have other initiatives as well that will steer us towards carbon neutrality there has to be really really a direct effective action yeah and it's, it's not only carbon neutrality of course there are other things that New Zealand excels and of course with creation of methane which yeah. in the short term is even more um, hazardous than carbon in terms of that's rising. right and again you know the the, the uh, solutions to that will be very politically unfathomable to some people and so on who might want to you know but again it needs to be addressed and very little seems to be done about this so one hopes that the government will take this you know on board next year or this year uh, absolutely i also hope that the government continues to ignore the groundswell protests these mm. they've even attracted the ire or, or somewhat mild ire of the federated fathers who prefer to deal with government on a face-to-face -face basis however there are a, there is a, there are a number of radical right farmers who are really driving this and i have no doubt that they could be driven by very well resourced um by a very well resourced deep pockets of perhaps not only farmers but business and also political interests i think i'm just hoping that uh, for example that there is another um, <laughs> expose about this perhaps there could be down the line by uh, the likes of the the author of the um, the, the hollow bill, um, Nikki Nikki Haga. Haga yes, yeah. I'm just hoping that that will come about. I mean, there could be, well, be. I'm only speculating. I don't know that. Yeah. I mean, it, but it seems to be these sorts of campaigns seem to be well resourced. Yes, and, they do. The, the the other thing, of course, we could look at is, of course, alternative forms and so on of, you know, for example, transport costs and so on like that. Cars are still a major emitter of uh, greenhouse mm. gases. So are trucks. Um, and of course, I was reading recently in the Guardian that, of course, a number of countries are going back to good old-fashioned rail. Yeah. And, you know, this could be the time and so on again that the government actually do something green by actually boosting Kiwi Rail and um, starting yes. to look at reopening branch lines, putting limits on transportation, so you had to put them on rail, things and so on that were actually undertaken by the Kirk and Maldoon governments for different reasons but actually now having environmental underpinning and so on for them as well absolutely uh, no doubt it's the son of a rolling uh, bin yourself that you'd want to see that the new zealand rail kiwi rail really grow and revive uh, as mm. a, 
I think that uh, that rail travel, and particularly having electrically powered uh, or solar powered, you know, uh, trains, trains yeah. would be a wonderful thing. I, I think that that is the future. I'd like mm. to see, for example, the old Southerner service resurrected, so I can come up and see you more easily in Christchurch instead of having to drive down to the yeah, air, to the yeah. airport, which is and that really drives up the carbon miles. Given yeah, no, that, I, I, uh, yeah. <laughs> I agree with you, Chris. The Southerner was great, and I'd like to see it returned in some form as well, too. You know, the only time you could drive to the rail here, get on the train, get fed, and get off at the other end and so I'm rested and, you know, so, yeah. But, you know, it, it, again, it's a point. So coming back to, to this year, of course, the, the first, I suppose the first real test of how popular the government is, of course, will be essentially the local body elections, which will be happening usually in about the latter half of the year. October, there. Yeah, I that's think right. For the second Saturday in October, October. by yep. postal ballot. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, and, and usually in the past, Labour has, you know, maybe gone in with some other parties, but recently, of course, it's been running by it under its own platform, under its own steam in a number of areas. And even when you have, you know, places here in Christchurch or groups here in Christchurch like People's Choice, they've now got the Labour slogan underneath them. So I suppose that will be the first real test, electoral test of the government and so on. Granted that local body elections don't have much of a turnout either. No. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think that really that... Tories usually run under the guise of citizens and rate right payers and, and yeah, yeah, and independent, so yeah. I did hear what happened in Christchurch last year with the, the one of the local by-elections, which ended in Labour coming fourth. I understand with one of their candidates. That I, was I, actually here here in my ward, Chris. Really? Yes, yep, they did. Yep. They that, <laughs> I, that's amazing, given that the Labour is polling relatively well nationwide. However, I do have to stress that we're one of the few countries in the world, if not the only country perhaps that I know of, which doesn't have political parties openly contesting local body elections. Even mm. across the Tasman in Australia, there is a very lively competition between the their coalition parties on the one hand and Labour on the other and the Greens and so forth for elected council seats. However, over here, the, the same trend that we find throughout the world hasn't evolved. So mm. it will be very difficult to have a, to take a reading from local government election results. But however, if there are a number of councillors elected across the country, particularly in the main cities who would identify as being on the right, that there is a slight swing towards councillors who identify with the right, then it could signal that perhaps, and without, of course, bearing in mind that it won't have any bearing on the general election next year, I don't think too much, but it could still provide some sort of clue, particularly if there are council seats contested in places like all Auckland by City Vision and Wellington by the Greens and yeah. Labour. I think they stand their own candidates there. However, there is 
uh, as I understand it, a close degree of cooperation. Christchurch, Tri-City Vision and Dunedin, there is one Labour councillor, but there are a number of unofficial councillors who, uh, like, for example, former Minister David Benson-Pope, who are still members of the Labour Party, but prefer to stand as independents. Independents, yeah. So, in Cr- yeah, in Christchurch, yeah. they call them people's choice. Yes, that's yeah, right. right. So, yeah. yeah, so I think the, that you may not be able to get a good read, but if there are, there's a swing towards either the left or the right, it may just tell the story of the next election, but it won't be the full definitive story. Yeah. I think that local party politics in New Zealand is very much separated from the central government politics by the fact mm. that central government politics is maybe based around political parties, whereas at the local level, it's more informal political packs or alliances between parties on the left or between candidates on the right who form a loose alliances like the citizens and ratepayers that you find in some areas. So the last question, Chris, so what are your final thoughts and so on for, for 2022? What do you see would hope like to happen, you know? Just returning to what what would be top of your priority if the government was giving their priority this year? Well, I think that the government obviously should give priority to of one, obviously continuing to manage the COVID nineteen situation. It's going to be ongoing throughout twenty twenty two. It has to be managed well. Number two is of course devoting more resource and time to climate change and environmental issues. Number three is ensuring that access to education and training continues to be addressed. And number four, that housing is particularly addressed as well, that we really need to address, for example, the level of private sector rents. We need to build more state housing. There needs to be a methodical program of state housing construction carried out throughout Aotearoa. There needs to be an absolutely massively state-funded program, which there hasn't been to date. There has been some action, as we know, but more action is required because the public house waiting list is increasing day by day. And for me in particular, there's a real need for a kainga order to finally end its absolute opposition to having the minimum number of state house builds be 15% accessible. It needs to be 100% accessible or close to it. it Amen. To be, yeah. Amen to that, comrade. Yeah, and with that, Chris, like to see. thank you. And um, yes, and happy, Merry, happy Christmas and um, happy new year to you too. Happy new year, A one, a two, a one, two.